<laughs> well, um, good morning, everybody. It is my pleasure to be able to, uh, to come and share with you this morning. Uh, last week, we started a new series that Aaron kicked off, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be working our way through uh, a bunch of uh, uh, parables, and each week we'll look at a different parable, and it's going to be through the lens of a different preacher uh, e- each time. And this week, uh, the parable that I'd like us to take a look at is uh, the parable of uh, the widow and the unjust judge, which is found in the book of Luke, um, chapter 18. So if you have a Bible or a device, um, or if you don't have a Bible, there's some at the back, you can grab one. Um, just uh, begin turning with me to the book of, of Luke um, and chapter 18. As we're turning there, I'd just like to kind of explain a little bit about the idea of what a parable is. Is as a parable is a story uh, used to illustrate a religious and a moral principle, and we often think of them as as it's a biblical thing that that Jesus um, spoke parables. But but we use parables all the time. Right? We tell stories to make a point, to illustrate a truth, to explain something, and uh, and that's all a parable really is. It's it's a story that just helps us to get a little bit deeper and to understand a truth a little bit more clearly. Jesus told more than 40 parables, actually, during his ministry here on earth that we have um, copies of in, in, in the Bible, and, and they were really important to his teaching. And so um, I think this is a great thing that we're doing, um, just looking at some parables and kind of unpacking them a little bit, and it, it's a little bit of a change from how we often approach um, studying the scripture and, and, and approach um, preaching. So um, let's take a look at... Um, Luke, not chapter 11, chapter 18, and uh, I'd like to start reading in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, before we get into this passage and before we start unpacking it, I think it's really important for us to note the context in which this this parable occurs. Particularly in the case of of something like Luke chapter 18, verse 1, um, context really matters because, because in this one specifically, Jesus starts, or, or the, the author Luke here starts say, by saying, then Jesus told his disciples. There's no passage of time indicated between this and Jesus' previous teaching in, in chapter 17. In fact, it appears that this occurs immediately afterwards, that it's just part of a continuous um, teaching that Jesus was making. And um, in addition to this, uh, in, in chapter or verse 8, 
Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's this indication of, of this future return of Jesus he's kind of talking about and alluding to. And, and without the context of the previous chapter, we can't really understand what Jesus is referring to here in, in Luke chapter 18. See, in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 20, he gets asked this question. He gets asked it by the Pharisees. And he gets asked, when will the kingdom of God come? And he addresses this and he says, you, you know, you look outside and you're looking for some sort of a political kingdom or, or something like that. But the kingdom of God is within people. And then um, as his disciples, he engages his disciples on it. And I can kind of imagine what they're thinking is they're thinking, okay, so the kingdom of God is within people, but, but God is going to come and make things right. How does this all work together? How, how do we understand this? And so he tells his disciples and he speaks to them about what things are going to be like when he returns. And this is again before he has um, ascended to heaven, before crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. He says, there's going to be something that happens when I return. And this is what he says about it. And it's really important for us to understand this before we understand what happens in chapter 18 in the parable. He tells his disciples, when I return you're not going to miss it. You see, people will be going around and they'll be like, oh, look here, Jesus is coming here. Or look over there, here's what's going to happen over here. And Jesus is going to come because of this. He says, no, like the lightning which lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be when I return. This is not something you're going to miss. It will be absolutely clear. And then he says, and at these last days, not only will when I come be like, nobody will miss it, but just before that, people will be going on and life will be as normal. And he uses two examples in that. And he says, here, the first example he uses is what people were doing immediately before the flood. And in chapter 17, verse 26, he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and be given in marriage up till the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. That they were going through life and they didn't see what God was doing. They didn't have eyes to understand what was going on. And then he uses the, the story of, of Sodom. And he says, in the, it was the, the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. He says, you need to have eyes to see what God is doing. That, that life will be going on just as normal. And then God will, Jesus will return. And that God's people need to be ready. And then he tells them this parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. And it kind of doesn't really make sense, right? You're like, how does that fit into the return? But right at the start of it, in verse 1, he gives us this, this little indicator of what he's saying. And right at the end of verse 1, he tells them this parable so that they should always pray and not give up. This was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years have passed since Jesus spoke these words, and we still wait. And, and Jesus said, you can't miss it. When I return, you will not miss it. But life goes on, and we eat, drink, we plant, and we harvest, and, and, and life just goes on as normal. 
And it becomes very easy to start to miss it, to start to, to just get regular, just, just feel like things are regular and this is the way life is going to be or this is the way the world works. But Jesus warns in the last days and, and others, other authors warn in the last days there will be false teachers and there will be people that fall away from following Jesus and it will become easy to wonder, when, Lord, when? Not only will it become easy to wonder when, but during these times, there will be injustice. This is the cry of God's people so often, is it not? When, Lord, when are you going to deliver justice? When will you heal hurts? When will you make things right? And that's the story we hear or the question I've heard and, and I'm sure we've all heard from other people. And it's an honest question. Where is God? If God really cares, where is he? Because life just seems to go on as normal. And, and, and in this world, people war against people. People war against people because of race or religious persuasion or, or political beliefs of poverty versus wealth. We live in a world where disagreements become violent, where one person's justice hurts another person. And that disaster and sickness and death are a reality. We're, I'm sitting here looking out at people wearing masks because, because of this, this virus called COVID-19, right? And we, we live in this broken world in which we're like, when, Lord, will things change? When are they going to get better? Where are you? Jesus, you promised you would come back. And Jesus tells his disciples, while you are waiting for me to return, pray, pray, and do not give up. And then he tells them this story to illustrate it. It's a story about the powerful and the powerless, about how the powerless can sway the powerful. See, the story about an unjust judge, and this unjust judge does not fear God nor care about men. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care what God thinks, and he doesn't value people. He's in it for his own gain only. And he is not granting justice to this widow. And on the other hand, there's a widow and she is the picture of the powerless with nothing going for her. But she's got nothing to lose. And so she harasses this judge. And what's really important here, Jesus doesn't say it, but this could have gone one of two ways for her. Right? We've read the story and so we know how it ends. We know she gets justice. She wasn't powerful than the judge was. He could have actually ruled against her rather than just abdicating, which is what he was doing. He just wasn't ruling in either's favor and she was asking for justice, justice. But she kept at it and she persists. She harasses the judge. In fact, the Greek here, which we translate in the NIV, to the judge says, she's going to wear me out, literally means in Greek, She's going to beat me black and blue. I am so sick of this. Every time I walk out of my door, there she is. I have to make this stop. And so he rules in her favor and he gives her justice. He says, fine, have your justice. Just leave me alone. Now, Jesus is not saying that God is like the unjust judge. He's actually creating for us a contrast his point is, 
is that if an unjust judge will give justice to someone who asks for it persistently, how much more so will God, our Father in heaven, give us good things? In fact, just a few chapters earlier in chapter 11, Jesus is teaching on prayer and on asking God for things, and he says this in verses 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is in essence saying, is if we who are sinful are capable of giving good things to those we love, how much better will God be at giving us good things? God who is perfect and loves us perfectly, how much better will he be at giving good things to those he loves? And yet through all of this, Jesus is saying, yes, God loves us. God wants to give us good things. It's in the context of all of Jesus' teaching. God wants to give us good things. He cares deeply about us. And yet, he says, persist. Keep praying and do not give up. And the parable illustrates that point. But he doesn't explain why we need to be persistent in prayer. He just tells us to do it. And so this morning, um, one of the things I'd like to kind of unpack for us is I'd like to give us three reasons here why we should be persistent in praying, why this matters, why sticking with it and not giving up matters. The first one is that persistence in prayer drives us to self-examination. See, when God doesn't answer our prayers immediately, it gives us time to examine ourselves, to look inside, to examine our hearts and our motives, to ask the question is, why am I praying for this? What is behind it? What is the root of what's going on inside of me? If we truly believe that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father, and that He loves us and He desires what is best for us, which is what Scripture teaches, then perhaps God's lack of answering our prayers in our timeline has more to do with His desire to do work in us than form something good in our lives than His desire to answer us right now. See, He wants to do good things in us. He wants to form in us good. He wants to uh, conform us to the image of his son Christ. He wants to change us and take the broken parts of us and, and the bad motivations and, and the little sinful things that we have and the desires that maybe aren't quite in line with what God wants. And he wants to change that. And persistence in prayer, God not answering right away, gives us that opportunity. Gives us the opportunity to do some self-examination and to ask ourselves about the condition of our hearts. The second thing that persistence in prayer does is it develops passion. See, how much do we really care about what we're praying for? I remember when I was a kid, um, I don't know, 
probably like eight, nine years old. Um, if, if anybody remember the Sears Wish Books? Yeah, see? Yeah, I love the Sears Wish Book. And, and every year I'd look forward to it. And not only would, would I look at the, the toys in the back of it, because there was a big section of, of all the toys and things like that, but I would keep it past Christmas so I could keep looking at it. And then sometimes you get a Sears catalog and some of the toys were in there and you could be like, okay, it's still there. But I remember there was this toy and I wanted it so badly and I didn't get it for Christmas. Um, and I, I wanted it so badly, I decided I'm gonna save up and buy it for myself. Now it was $35, somewhere around there, as I remember. My allowance was a dollar a week. So it took me a while and I kept at it and I kept at it and I saved and I saved. And whenever I felt like maybe I should spend my money on something else, maybe I should compromise and buy something a little bit cheaper, I'd go back to that Sears wish book and I'd look at the picture of it and it's like shining plasticky glory. And, and I would be like, no, this is what I want. And I remember that. And I just told a parable there. Um, but the point is, is that something deferred often builds passion. Continued prayer for something or someone forms a passion in us. And sometimes God cares deeply about the thing we're praying about. And he would answer us and he has the capacity to answer us right now. But what he wants us to do is care as deeply about it as he does. And so he defers it and he gives us time and we pray about it and we pray about it. And in that, God develops a passion in us for what's important to him. The third thing that being persistent in prayer teaches us or does in us is it reminds us that God's ways are higher than ours. In 2 Peter chapter 3, i got to find it. 2 Peter chapter 3, um, verse 9, Peter writes this. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we don't know the mind of God. We don't know what he's doing, but we do know that his ways are higher than ours. And in 2 Peter, Peter is talking to, or he's writing to a group of people that have been waiting in there, when is Jesus returning? Which is this kind of the root behind this whole story. And Peter says, but what you have to understand is God's ways are higher than ours, and what he wants to do is he wants all people to come to repentance. He is not slow. He is giving people time. And often that's the way God is working. Is I want the answer right now, or I want God to do this right now, but his plans are not my plans, and he sees things in a different way. He sees things in a, in a holistic way. He's, he knows what the impact of my prayers are, or my desires are going to be. And he says, either not now, or wait, or no, but persistence in prayer 
reminds us that God's ways are higher than ours. And when we're not getting an answer right now, it may be just because God's like, that's not my plan for now. We don't know his mind, but what we do know is that he loves us. Then Jesus continues in Luke chapter 18, and he tells his disciples that persistent prayer in the face of difficulty or in the face of waiting for something requires faith. This is really interesting, actually. Jesus is asked, he asks here, when I return, when he returns, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus says, will I find faith? Is faith going to exist? He doesn't ask, will I find morality? Will I find people behaving in a certain manner, living in a certain way? He doesn't ask, will I find charity? People giving, people being generous? He doesn't ask any of those sort of questions. What he says is, will I find faith? Now, the faith he's, he's asking that he's gonna, whether he's going to find is not some sort of secret power. That's not what faith is. It's not some sort of blind, hollow belief in, in just like, I believe that this is going to happen and therefore it is. That's not what Jesus is asking about. But he's asking rather, will I find faith in the way the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1 describes it, of being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And in, in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and, and also, again, really interestingly, here in Luke chapter 17, faith is a certainty that Noah had. That when people were carrying on doing life as normal, he had the certainty that God spoke to me and told me to build an ark because he was going to bring judgment. And Noah spent years and years and years of his life building something that didn't make sense to everybody around him. But, but he was certain that God had called him to do this. And so he stuck with it. And he trusted, and he was certain, he was certain of what he did not see, that God was going to do something, and God was going to bring judgment, and he, God had called him to do something different. It was faith that caused Lot, while people were doing, as Luke chapter 7, 28 says, eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building, faith that caused Lot to leave Sodom. Because God has said, I am going to rain down judgment upon this city for their behavior, and he left because he trusted that the word of God was true. And then the author of Hebrews, if we were to look, and we don't have time, but look in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews lists a host of people who lived and died by faith. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, he writes, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about. And he lists more and more and more people. See, God's people have always lived by faith. The trust that what God says to, that what's going to come about will be, is true and it will happen. The trust that though the world looks one, one way, that people are eating and drinking, harvesting and planting and all of those sort of things, though the world looks one way as though things are normal, that that's not the truth. 
The real truth is different. The true reality is that Jesus is going to return and that God is going to bring about justice and that God does love his people. Jesus says, here he asks us the question in Luke chapter 18. Will you pray and not give up? And he calls us to persevere in prayer because God is working out his plan and his plan is good and we might not understand it. We might not know where he's going, but he says, just keep praying and trusting me. Because God is working in us. He's developing, as we pray and just trust God, he is developing a passion inside of us for the things that are of, that are of him. And that he's working inside of us to reveal truths about who we are and who he wants us to be and what he wants to form in us. And he says, continue in faith. Because when I come, I want to find faithful people, people that trust me, despite everything that's going on around them, despite what the world looks like, that they trust who I am and what I say is true. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for these stories, these parables, these, these little pithy statements that illustrate truth. And God, thank you for this truth that prayer is important and not only is prayer important, but perseverance in praying develops good things in us. And God, this morning, we ask that you would form that in us, that you would make us a people of prayer, a people of persistent prayer that continue, even when things get difficult, even when we don't get the answers we want, that continue trusting you. And God, that in that, you would be forming in us the things that you want. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not just saving us, but continuing to work in our lives and develop in us who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.